Well, I just love it when we have two ordinances on the same day, both baptism and the Lord's table. So looking forward to tonight and the Lord's table. So have you settled in your mind where all of this is going? You know, the last 14, 15 months, lots of noise, lots of confusion, lots of arguing, lots of wrangling, lots of theories and conspiracy theories and all that. Have you figured out where all this is going? And we're winding up our, our series today uh, on the church, the Bride of Christ. And we're answering the question, where's the church going? Well, I know where the church is going. The church is going to a wedding. That's where we're going. We're going to a wedding. We're going to a wedding feast. We're going to eternal salvation. We have all this to look forward to. And, and you know, all of this noise and all of the distractions and all of the things, things that are going on, have a way of, uh, of clouding our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to the true vision that's set before us, the, two, the true hope that is set before us, the, the truth of the exciting reality that, that sits right before us. And that is that the church, we know exactly the way things are going, and we know exactly where we're going. We're going to a wedding with Jesus Christ and to be with him forever. And so we don't have to be fussing and worried and discouraged and all of that. We can hope in what we know to be true. It's interesting. I was watching a, a documentary last week uh, narrated by David Attenborough called The Year Earth Changed. The documentary is a, is a um, study on what has happened to the, the natural world around us, the world of animals particularly, during this COVID year. How have, how have the animals fared? How, how has nature fa fared? <clears throat> and it tracked, by the way, you can see this on YouTube, and I, I, I recommend it. It's a really, a really excellent documentary. It tracked a city in India of one million people. The city's called Jalander. It is located 200 kilometers south of the Himalayan mountains, the grand Himalayan, uh, the Himalayan mountain range. There's a whole generation of young people who have never seen this Himalayan mountain range from their city because of all of the pollution. So for 30 years in this city, you can't see the mountain range. But in 12 days, 12 days of lockdown, when industry shut down and a number of things shut down in India, within 12 days, all of the toxins, all of the pollution was gone from the sky and they could actually see the vista of this amazing mountain range. It, you, you have to see it. I, I, can, I can describe it, but you have to see it for yourself. It's, un, it's remarkable. And people were going up, you know, People who were 30 years of age and under were going up on the houses, on the roof, and looking like they were just bewildered. They just couldn't believe what they could see. And you could see this glorious mountain range that had been taken out by all of the toxins of pollution. And I feel like that's kind of the moment that we're living in. It's just all kinds of mess, all kinds of pollution, all kinds of talk, all kinds of noise. And the church it's possible that the church and Christians can become discouraged. But we have in front of us a grand vision 
that doesn't change no matter how the sight lines look. We have this grand and glorious vision that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is coming back to get us. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. And we'll just take a look at this grand vista, this glorious mountain range that we can see in the Bible before us. In, in uh, Revelation chapter 19, right at the end of the book, the end of the Bible, it starts out with four hallelujahs. And uh, this really answers the question for us, what does it mean to be the bride of Christ? That's what the church is called. What does it really mean to be the bride of Christ? Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. After this, and of course the four chapters before this are all about the judgment of God upon the wicked nations and what God is going to do. And then it says, after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting, hallelujah, hallelujah salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants and again they shouted, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, has given her to wear. He was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding, with white horses, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. And then I saw the beast 
And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. And with these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with a sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be set free for a short time. Well, this is the word of God to us this morning. So is this uh, event that we find no evidence in the rest of Scripture for? No. In fact, uh, if you turn back in your Bibles to Isaiah 25, uh, this was promised, uh, prophesied by the prophet Isaiah, where death would be swallowed, tears would be wiped away, disgrace would be removed, vindication would be completed, and salvation would be the, the ultimate reward of the people of God. Look at what it says in the text here in Isaiah 25.1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness you have done marvelous things. Things planned long ago. Note that. Things planned long ago. If you're wondering whether or not God has abandoned us or, or he, he's, he's away somewhere and has just left everything to unfold as it that's not the way it is. God has planned all of this. God has planned the way things will go. God has planned the journey for us. And God has planned our purpose to be with him. And that's the journey that we track through the scriptures as we find it here. Notice what it says in verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast, a rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away their tears from their faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is our Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. There is coming that day where we will say, we are glad we trusted in our Savior. He didn't disappoint us. He didn't let us down. Many people, many leaders, many, many have let us down. But our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, will never let us down. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. We will say to one another, it is worth it to serve Jesus. <clears throat> you see in this whole text where God is judging the nations, destroying enemies of of hope and redemption. And, and the picture here is a great feast. A great feast with foreigners who will join uh, with Israel and the people of God. Death that has ruled since the disobedience of the Garden of Eden will finally be taken away. Disgrace, the disgrace of following Jesus and being persecuted will be vindicated. The tears that have stained every face will be wiped away by our Savior and who will prove to be true. 
he will declare death done. And his lordship will be indisputable for all the peoples in the world. Everyone will finally have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And we will all say it is worth it all. Jesus advanced this teaching when he gathered his disciples together at the final Passover celebration. When Jesus changed the Passover to the Lord's table from that point forward. And if you, again, would turn in your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 26. There's a a very interesting statement that Jesus made when he instituted the Lord's table at the last Passover that he had with his disciples. Now, those of you who know anything about the Passover would know that there were four cups that they drank at the Passover. There was the cup of benediction. There was the cup that they drank before the meal. There was the cup that they drank right after the meal. And then there was a cup that they drank right after they sang a hymn together. Usually they sang the Halal, Psalm 113 to 118. So there were always four cups at the Passover. When Jesus instituted the Lord's table, he participated in three cups with his disciples. The cup of benediction, the cup before the meal, and the cup right after the meal, which is our communion now. The Lord's table is the third cup where we drink communion together. But Jesus did not drink the fourth cup. And there's a reason for that. Here's what he said in Matthew 25, or sorry, Matthew 26 and verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on, until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. This is an amazing statement that Jesus made. His disciples were about to witness his crucifixion. He was going to be crucified for them. They were going to be incredibly discouraged and they were also wondering, why are we not drinking the fourth cup? But Jesus was saying, you are going to see me die. You are going to see me buried. You are going to see me resurrected and you are going to see me return and then I will drink the fourth cup with you. But not until the kingdom of God comes will we celebrate the fourth cup. It's interesting. In the third cup, they would always recite Exodus 6.6. Exodus 6.6 says this, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. This is the promise of salvation. But in the fourth cup, they recited Exodus 6, 7. I will take you as my own people. Jesus said, we are not drinking that fourth cup until I come back for you. And then we will recite Exodus 6, 7 together. I will take you as my people forever. He made this promise to them that I will return and we're not drinking this cup until I do. It's an amazing thing. And so now we jump to the back of the Bible to the Apostle John and what he is teaching us here in the, in the book of Revelation. John had a vision of the revelation of Jesus Christ while he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And this is what the picture that we have here of John and Revelation. And he pictures this final return of Jesus Christ as Christ has promised in the picture of a wedding. Now, 
none of our ceremonies, or I should put it this way, every one of our ceremonies that have been given to us in the scriptures, like our feasts or wedding or any of that, have been given to us by God on purpose to illustrate theological truths. And the wedding celebration and ceremony that is played out many times, we had many weddings already this year, is a reminder to all of us that Jesus is coming again. And I don't know if you think about that in weddings, but that's exactly what it is. And so there's every detail of a wedding, particularly the ancient Near East weddings. Now we don't celebrate our weddings the same way the Middle Easterners do. In fact, if you've ever had a chance to be at a Middle East wedding, whether in Lebanon or Israel or somewhere like that, I mean, their, have, their weddings are something to behold. But this is the picture that we have here is the wedding, a Middle East wedding that, of course, John would know, the people of the day would know and understand. And there's several parts to a Middle Eastern wedding. The first is, and we're used to this, is the betrothal, whereby we're engaged. The, we are betrothed to be married. In the ancient Near East, when you were betrothed to be married, you were actually legally married. Not, you wouldn't consummate the marriage because that was improper, but you were contractually married. So that when you were engaged, if you broke that engagement, it was called a divorce. That's why when, jo when Mary uh, was pregnant with Jesus, Joseph, d during the betrothal, Jesus, or Joseph, wanted to divorce her quietly uh, because she had violated, in his mind, the marriage contract with, he thought, someone else. So in this betrothal, of course, that year goes on. It's usually a year of betrothal. There's an extended period of time. That's similar to us as well in our engagement. And it says in the Bible, of course, that during the betrothal, whereby we are betrothed to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit as our deposit, guaranteeing the wedding. Just like we have engagement rings or whatever, the Holy Spirit is our engagement ring. He's our deposit from God, the deposit that he's going to go through with the wedding, and, and you will be with the Lord forever. And, and so, you know, when you put down a deposit on a contract, if you don't fulfill that contract, you lose your deposit. So if God doesn't fulfill his contract to marry us to Jesus forever, then he would literally lose himself. He would lose the Holy Spirit. That's how we know that when you have the Holy Spirit, you will not lose the Holy Spirit. It, your salvation will be completed when Jesus Christ returns. So that's the betrothal period. And then, of course, there's pictures that we have here in the text. What will we, what will we hear? We will hear, uh, once the betrothal period is over, we will hear four hallelujah choruses. The great sound of multitudes singing and praising God. Heavens will open and the King of kings and the Lord of lords will appear on a white horse. And who are these roaring crowds that are singing praises to God? Well, I believe they are angels and the saints of God who've already gone on to heaven before us. And they will praise God and sing. And, and we will see all of this with our eyes, praises going on. But at, and at this point, of course, the marriage is about to begin. Now, in a Middle Eastern marriage... 
the bride never knew when the groom was going to come for the wedding. She had to be ready and her attendants had to be ready. The groom would leave his father's house when the father said it was time with a great processional and that great processional would make their way to the bride's house to have the wedding. Now picture this. This is exactly what we're seeing in this picture is Jesus Christ, when the father says to him, it's time to go, he will go with a great procession and entourage of all the angels and saints before who will come with the processional to receive the bride. So if we are still alive and here at the coming of the Lord, he will bring this great processional to get his bride. And that's what we have showing in this text. And it talks here about us getting our, uh, making sure that our, um, that we are making ourselves ready for the Lord. Well, how do we make ourselves ready for the Lord? In verse 7, it says that for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. In other words, you've already made yourself ready for the coming of the Lord. How do you do that? By obedient discipleship. By obeying the Lord by living a life whereby the Spirit of God is sanctifying us, growing us, causing us to be more holy and acceptable to the Lord. That is what's happening in our lives. We are making ourselves ready. That's why Paul wrote in, in Ephesians 5 in terms of, of a husband and a wife. He said where, where the husband is to make the wife uh, spotless and without wrinkle and preparing her. Uh, she's being prepared. It's the picture of the church being prepared for Jesus. That's what's happening. That's what you're doing this morning. Uh, that's what you're doing here on the lot is, is, is obeying the Lord and, and, and growing in Christ and making yourself ready for the wedding that is about to come. It says also here in the text, in verse 8, fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. We've already been given our wedding garments when we received the Holy Spirit, when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We, by grace, because you see here it says the, the garments are given to us. We don't earn the garments. We don't go and get them ourselves. They've been given to us. By, the, by Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's been given to us. And so we have these garments. And, and as you read further, of course, in the, in the scriptures, uh, in Math, or back in Matthew, Jesus himself talks about, in parables, he talks in, in um, Matthew, uh, about um, Matthew 22, whereby someone was thrown out of the wedding because they didn't have the garments for the wedding. Those who don't know Christ will not be allowed to be at the wedding of Christ because they don't have the garments of Christ. Also, it says in Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins, whereby five of the virgins did not have their oil ready. If you remember, they weren't ready for the groom to come to the wedding and, and to come and get his bride. They weren't ready. And, and when, they, when they found out he was coming, they tried to go and get oil in their lamps, but it was too late. It will be too late when this happens. When Jesus is coming for the final wedding, it will be too late. There will be no more opportunities to come to Christ. You have to be ready for Christ. So be sure you're ready. Make sure that you already have the garment of Jesus and make sure that you are serving him with all of your heart. 
And then after the groom comes to get the bride with a great processional, in the ancient Near East wedding, the groom takes the bride back to his house, his father's house, and all of the guests for a marriage feast. And this is what we see in the text here. It says here that, that um, the, uh, the wedding of the lamb will come, his bride is ready, and, uh, and then it says in verse 9, the angel said to me, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. So we are both the bride and the guests invited. And we are taken with the groom, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Father's house. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, don't be discouraged. Don't be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and get you so that where I am, there you may be also. There's a very picture here where Jesus, the groom, comes for his bride. The heavenly father will say to the son, the house is now ready. Go and get your bride and bring your bride back for the marriage supper of the lamb. This is a glorious uh, reality for us. This is the grand vista of our salvation. Beloved, this is, this is it. This is the big deal. But there's a little bit of unfinished business before we can enjoy uh, uh, uninterrupted communion with the Lord forever. Jesus has to take care of all of the nations that have warred against God's people, all of the wickedness of this world. God ha Jesus has to settle justice first. It's unfinished business. It's rather interesting right now, and I find it fascinating, that almost the, the, the major uh, quest of the world right now, of the people of the world, is justice, social justice. That's the big deal of the moment. And they're not going to find justice, and they're not going to be able to create justice. And it's, it's really setting it all up for Jesus, the ultimate judge, to come back and finally settle justice once and for all, forever. So, the wedding ceremony begins where Jesus comes for us. But before we go back to the wedding feast, the marriage banquet... There is some work to be done in between. And that's the picture here in, in Revelation 19, where you see the Lord coming in, the white, in his white horse with his armies to deal with the Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet, and, and Satan. That has to be dealt with in between the wedding's beginning and the feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's called the Supper of God. Notice it. In Revelation 19 and verse 17, it's called the Great Supper of God. Do not confuse these two suppers. There's the Marriage Supper of the Lamb and there's the Great Supper of God. They're two different things. The Great Supper of God is where the Lord Jesus Christ pro proclaims judgment on all the wicked nations and the people of those nations that that amass against Jesus and his people for that final battle called the Battle of Armageddon. 
And in that great battle, with just the word of his mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ will defeat and destroy all opposition to the King of Kings. And he will, their bodies will be strewn on the earth for the scavengers to eat. The birds of prey, the scavengers will come and eat the bodies. The worst death to have is a death where you die and people just leave your body out to be eaten by scavengers. That's what will happen. And it's called the Supper of God, where the wicked actually are the supper for the scavengers. Now, beloved, there is great injustice and great wickedness all around us. And, and God's people have been persecuted and, and tortured and, and destroyed and, and damaged. And this has been going on for centuries upon centuries. And there is coming a day of reckoning. And that reckoning is, is, is finally established here when, the, when Jesus comes for his wedding, takes care of unfinished business. I think it's important for you to note that you and I need to be careful to make sure that we follow through with our invitation that Jesus has given to us. Christ has invited us to be part of the bride of Christ. Make certain that you don't become distracted or turn away. Make certain that you follow through with your invitation. In Matthew 22, the parable there talks about many were invited, but they were preoccupied and didn't show up. Make sure that you continue to follow through with Christ. So know this. That while salvation is the celebration of our intimate communion with Jesus Christ, the work of salvation until Christ completes his work is the work of battle and warfare. Salvation is not a diploma. And Jehovah does not behave like a social worker. Salvation is war. And Jesus Christ intends to settle for us for all time those who've warred against us, that we might have uninterrupted intimacy with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. Now this judgment called Armageddon, the gathering for the great supper of God, the beast and the false prophet are disposed of. Notice in chapter 19, verse 20. The beast is captured, the false prophet who's performed miraculous signs. The beast represents the wickedness of secular world systems. The false prophet represents false religions. Those two will team up with the Antichrist, fueled by Satan at the end, to war against, a final war against God's people. I think you might find it interesting to note that it isn't the secular governments of the world that actually... Uh, organize the mark of the beast. It is the false religious systems that organize the uh, mark of the beast. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 13, it says there, and he, meaning the false prophet, performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. And because of the signs, he was given power to do 
on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so, so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's, a man's number. His number is 666. In Revelation chapter 19 and, and verse... Um, Right in verse uh, 19 through, it talks there about the beast was captured with him, the false prophet, who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With those signs, he deluded those who received the mark of the beast and worshipped the image. The religious, false religious system will be responsible for establishing in people who reject Jesus a mark a brand, an ec economic passport, if you'll allow me to call it that, an economic passport. It won't be the secular governments that set this up. It will be false religious, false religions that are co-opted by the secular powers that will in fact be responsible for coercing and deluding people into receiving the economic passport and in so doing, reject Jesus. These are the ones that Jesus will war against at Armageddon in the final war. And after that happens, then we will celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb and be with Jesus in uninterrupted communion forever and ever. Isn't that glorious? That's the vista for us. That's the great news for us. You know, as much as our character must continue to be Christ-like, understand this. Our message is never diplomatic compromise. The message of Jesus Christ is an ultimatum. Come to know Jesus and be saved or be rejected and be destroyed and perish forever. That's the ultimatum. There's no diplomatic compromise here. We, we see at the end of the book how this unfolds for us. It's a glorious vista for God's people. A wedding, a feast, but it is a time of reckoning judgment for those who have rejected Jesus Christ. And there will be no time to change your mind. When Jesus, when he appears, in the white horse, and heaven opens up, it's done. The this, that is the end where Jesus finally brings final judgment upon our world. It's interesting to note that the world of, at the highest development of its material and spiritual power is but a decorated carcass round which the eagles gather. That's how it will be. It will unfold that way. And so my question to you and my 
urgent plea to you this morning, those of you watching online, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus? Because the marriage, surely the wedding, is right around the corner. As we look at how things are developing, surely the Lord is about to return. Surely the, the, the wedding feast is ready. But the supper of God waits for those who turn their back on Jesus Christ. So today is a day of salvation. Today is the day to get right with Jesus Christ. Today is the day to receive him as your Lord and Savior. As we come to the end of this great series on the doctrine of the church, I think it's appropriate to end it this way. It is available. Salvation of Jesus Christ is available to all those who will turn from their sins and themselves, who will repent of their sins and turn to Jesus Christ who alone can save. He alone took our sins to Calvary. He alone bore our punishment at Calvary's cross so that we might have him forever and so that we might be invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb and that great and glorious hope that waits for all of us ahead. Get ready for Jesus. He is coming. He is coming very soon. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your truth. Thank you for showing us. Thank you for giving us a fresh vision of the truth of the church. Where are we going? Where are God's people going? We're going to a wedding and we're going to a banquet and we're going to uninterrupted communion with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. Oh God, we thank you for our salvation. We love you. We praise you. We adore you. We worship you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.